Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our Greenbrier campus. Thanks for listening. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been in a situation where it's a good situation, but later on you found out, man, there was a trap hidden in there somewhere? Anybody ever find yourself in that trap, right? Um, uh, Not because of y'all, but listen, this is kind of a trap I think David set on me, all right? Uh, So not that long ago, David asked me and my wife and our family to come eat dinner. David's my direct supervisor, right? So he's my boss. And uh, he's like, hey, you guys come over for dinner. And so it's awesome. So we're there eating. It's It's a good time and and, and everything's fun. And then um, I go home. I told my wife, like, man, that was just fun. Man, David's awesome. Abby's awesome. Like, that was just a good time. Well, the next morning, I got a text from David saying, hey, I'm going to be gone on this date. Would you like to preach? I know you love coming to Greenbrier. You don't get to do it often. Would you like to come and preach? I said, like, absolutely. I love preaching. I love Greenbrier. Um, but here's the trap, right? I said, what's the scripture? And he just put LOL and sent me the, the scripture, right? Um, so today is not like a really fun one to preach. It's kind of a trap I think David set on me. Um, and so we're going to go for it, all right? And so just know that if I fell into the trap, you fell into the trap as well. And hopefully we come out on the other side um, better, all right? Um, but today we're, we're going to be in John chapter 7. We're in this um, series going through the book of John, and I just want to give you a little bit of context of what's happening um, in the scripture. Right off the bat, we see Jesus and, and everyone in kind of uh, the area is celebrating this festival called the Feast of Booths. And what's happening is Jesus just got done, y'all remember David preaching, um, healing a man who was lame from birth, and he's doing all these miracles, he's doing all these signs, um, but what happened is Jesus, um, he's starting to get a little bit of hate for it, right? He's starting to get a little criticism. Matter of fact, the Pharisees, Jesus knows that, man, they're trying to kill me, right? They're after me. Even at this point in this chapter, we see bef- before the scriptures we're going into, Jesus' own brothers are like, hey, if you really are who you say you are, man, start doing stuff out loud and, and show people, like, gra- gather a big crowd. And, and really, they just didn't believe Jesus was who he says he was. His own brothers didn't believe him. And so everyone's making their way um, to, to this festival. And Jesus, he just kind of, the scripture says, pulls back. And he kind of makes his way behind the crowd and ends up at the temple. And what he, st- what he does is, in the middle of this festival where all these people are here, he starts preaching. And what he preaches brings two really big emotions for everyone who was there that day, right? One was this astonishment where they, like, how does Jesus know the things that he knows? He's just an uneducated carpenter. We're going to get into that here in a little bit. But they were astonished at his teaching. But this other emotion that came up was, like, complete rage, right? There was this rage towards Jesus because every time he taught, he did a few things. One, he, he showed them, I am who I say I am. I am the Messiah. I am the Son of God. And they didn't like that. But the second thing that brought rage was Jesus would call them out on their sin. And he would do it in front of everybody. And, and so what we see today is Jesus saying, listen, you guys think you know so much about God and that you've studied all the Old Testament scriptures. However, you are so self-righteous and less gracious towards others that you don't even understand the things that you think you understand. And so today what we're going to look is, is Jesus is going to point out two really big traps that I believe as believers, um, man, we can fall into. And if we're not careful, those traps will hinder us from growing spiritually mature and it will hinder us from following Jesus and growing into the men and women that God created us to be. And so... Uh, 
little little news like a uh, little uh, uh, um, precursor to this. I didn't like writing this, all right. And so David definitely trapped me, but I think we're going to come out um, on the other, on the other end uh, a little bit more uh, closer to Jesus. So can we pray together and we'll jump in? Y'all pray for me. I'll pray for you, and we'll see what God does. God, we love you. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. God, I'm thankful for this uh, church and this campus in Greenbrier, Lord, that is reaching people for you in this community. God, I just pray that you continue to grow it, um, uh, not just by numbers, Lord, but by, by community, Lord, that they grow closer together as brothers and sisters in the faith. Uh, Lord, that they would be on mission together. But Lord, I pray here and now that we would um, see the scripture of Jesus and how you um, just tried to call the, the Pharisees out to show them that they were just missing the main thing, God. And I pray that today that we wouldn't fall into the same traps, but that we would surrender our lives into a full obedience for you, God. Uh, God, I pray that you use me, that you speak through me in a powerful way. But Lord, that we would all walk away um, listening to your word, God. We pray this in your name, everybody said. Amen, amen. John chapter 7, looking at verse 14 through 15, this is what the scripture says. It says, when the festival was already half over, Jesus went up into the temple and began to teach. The Jews were amazed and said, how is this man so learned since he hasn't been trained? So trap number one, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Trap number one is this. This is what the Pharisees fell into. They were thinking biblical knowledge equals spiritual maturity. That gaining all this biblical knowledge somehow equal to them being the most spiritually mature people in the area. And so right when we see, we see these Jews, man, they were completely confused. Like, how does Jesus, an uneducated carpenter from the ghetto desert of Nazareth, how does he know so much? How is he able to teach the things that he's teaching right now? The problem that they were facing is that they believed that knowledge came before anything else. That the more you knew about God, the more, the more education that you had, the more of the law that you had down like the back of your hand, that made you more um, of authority kind of figure. That put you at a high value of high honor. And so for them, the, the biblical knowledge, man, that, was, that took um, precedent over even submission to what they were studying. And so here's how that plays out, right? No one in this time period knew the law in the Old Testament better than these Pharisees. Better than them. No one did. I mean, they had studied from childhood. They knew God's word like the back of their hand. And for them, that, that spiritual maturity came from, this is how trained I am in the word of God. Um, I have a question for you. How many of you, it doesn't matter what denomination you grew up in. I don't care about that. I just want to know, how many of you grew up Southern Baptist? Anybody raise your hand? All right, how many of you grew up like real Southern Baptist? You went to a thing called Awanas. Anybody went to Awanas, all right? How so, I just want to see how Southern Baptist you are. How many of you went to Awanas, but you had the vest with the little crown, and you put jewels in every time you learned a Bible verse? Anybody, right? That's how, like, you're super Southern Baptist, right? Like, every time you learned a Bible verse, you put a little jewel in this little crown on your vest, all right? Now, listen, I'm from, if you don't know, I'm from um, a, a ghetto town in California, but they brought Awanas to our ghetto, which was awesome right? Because it gave us purpose. We had these little vests on, right? We were like, man, I love Jesus. Give me my little badge. And man, it was like a competition. Who can get the most jewels, right? And whoever had the most, like, oh, he was the one that got to pick what game we played. He got a candy bar at the end of the month, right? Kind of thing. And so like, we valued those little jewels in our crown. Let me tell you right now, that was never me. Right? I got, I was too ADHD as a kid, but I had some jewels in there, all right? But the danger is this, and this is what Jesus is trying to point out to them, that the more that they learned and the more that they studied, the less they actually lived out the things that they were learning. The less that they would actually um, uh, lean into, say, this is what the law says, this is how we play that out in a gracious kind of way. 
for them, man, they, they begin to rely more on their knowledge and their head knowledge of God rather than actually relying on God himself. In, in other words, their knowledge became to the point where they valued it so much that they almost became their own little gods dictating what the law said and what they would do instead of using the law for the, for the good things that God intended it to be used for, they would use it to establish their own little kingdom and rule over the people using the law as a weapon to do so. And Jesus is calling them out here. And so when we fall into this, this trap of thinking that if I'm going to be spiritually mature, I need to get more education and, and I need to learn more and learn more and learn more. That's a good thing. I'm not telling you not to, not to do that. Please don't tell David, I, didn't tell you, I told you to stop reading your Bible. That's not what I'm saying. But the trap is believing that if I know more than everyone else, I'm more spiritually mature than everybody else. If you're with me, say I'm with you. And this is what Jesus begins to call out in the next verses. It's not just about what you know about the Bible. It's not just about what you know about God. It's about what you do with that knowledge. Look at verse 16 through 19 with me. Jesus answered them, My teaching isn't mine, but it is from the one who sent me. If anyone wants to do his will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own. The one who speaks on his own seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Verse 19, didn't Moses give you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? Why are you trying to kill me? That's a big deal right there. Because what's happening is as they studied and studied and studied, um, the, the more knowledge they got, the less they actually submitted their lives in obedience to the word that God was actually giving them. This is a big deal. Um, hear me out. Like, like I said, please don't tell David. He's my boss. I, I, I didn't tell you to stop reading the Bible. But here's, here's what I am saying. That you can do all the Bible studies you want. You can learn Greek and Hebrew. You can memorize all the notes in the study Bibles that you have. You can take awesome notes when, when David preaches. You can have all the jewels in your little Awana crown or on your vest. But listen, until we actually submit our life to the word of God and walk in obedience towards Jesus, trying to become more and more like who he created us to be and less and less like our sin nature, we can have all the knowledge of the Bible we want and yet still miss the main point of why Jesus gave us the word in the first place. Which is not just to know him, which is a great thing. The Bible teaches us who God is, his characteristics, his love, his mercy, his, his justice. He, that's, those are good things to learn about. But he also gave us the word to live out for his glory and for the good of other people. And so if we only bank on our, our head knowledge make, making us spiritually mature, we're missing the mark. Which is the technical term and definition of sin. If you're with me, say I'm right here. And for the Pharisees, faith and, and spiritual maturity came, came from knowing more information about God and not necessarily knowing him personally. It, it came from, I know more than you, you, so you submit to me. But what Jesus is saying, and we see this all throughout the scriptures, is man, faith comes from trusting in who he is way before you actually fully understand who Jesus is. That faith comes from repenting and surrendering to him as the Lord and Savior of your life and then going, I'm going to use the rest of my life to learn more about you and to make you known to those around me. Not the other way around. Um, I read in a commentary this week that it says this, uh, submission comes before understanding. Submission comes before understanding. 
So in other words, submission to Jesus and being obedient to his word is what precedes the understanding of that word. In other words, we, we look at the Bible and go, listen, this is a, a massive book, God, that you've given me. It's your word. It's active. It's alive. It's not just some book like a fairy tale, but it's, it's alive and it's well and it's sharp um, like, a, like a two-edged sword, right? And so, Jesus, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to trust you as my Lord and my Savior. I'm going to dig into this. I'm going to pray that you give me wisdom. But listen, Lord, when I read these things, give me the strength to live it out because I don't want to just be a head knowledge kind of Pharisee. I want to be a follower who's dependent on you. That is what spiritual maturity looks like. Knowing I don't know everything that this thing says, but I'm going to spend my life learning, but also following what it actually tells me to do. And so um, I love that, that, that submission comes before knowledge. And if you don't believe that's true, like think about the, the disciples, right? Jesus looks at these men who are, are fishermen. They're not even good at being fishermen. A carpenter had to teach these fishermen how to fish. Y'all remember that point, right? These uneducated men, these tax collectors, the worst of the worst, broken men. And Jesus walks them and goes, hey, follow me. And they just bank everything they have, all their faith right into Jesus. And as they follow him and surrender to him for three and a half years, they learn. But that faith and that surrender has to come first. It has to come first. If we just have a head knowledge of who Jesus is and what the Bible says without actually submitting our lives to Jesus, we miss the whole thing and we end up rebelling against the very thing that we're studying every single day. If you're here, say, I'm here. Now, like I said, I'm not telling you to stop doing Bible studies or stop paying attention to sermons, but John tells us that the reason he wrote the book of John, the reason why he wrote this gospel account was so that we can know Jesus better, but then also um, so that we can live out our faith for him. And so you need to study. You need to learn, right? Those are good things. But man, if you're not willing to submit your life to the things that you're studying, you are missing the whole point. And so I, I don't think, as Jesus calls these guys out, I don't think all of us are like walking around with our a want of vest jewels, like I'm better than you kind of mindset. I don't think that's our necessarily our problem here. Um, but I do think that, and, and I see this the longer I've been a believer, right? This is kind of crazy. I'm in, I do college ministry. Um, I look at some of those students and I'm like, man, I've been a believer longer than most of them have been alive at this point, right? I'm at that point in my life. I'm only 30, but I'm already older than those students, right? And it, it's kind of, it's kind of crazy. Um, some of you kind of remember when you were, when you were 30 years old, right? Um, for some of you, that was not that long ago. For some of you, that was a long time ago. Um, but it, it's crazy to think that the longer, I, the longer I've been a believer and the more I follow Jesus, I see that this trap is set before us where, we, where it's not necessarily look at what I know. It's I know what to do. I know that I'm supposed to go to church. I know that I'm supposed to worship when, they, uh, when we sing songs. I'm supposed to sing along. I know that I'm supposed to nod my head and write down sermon notes when the pastor says something. I know I'm supposed to be a good person and, and not do bad things. And listen, I think a lot of times where, where they struggled with thinking the knowledge is what made them mature, I think for us, our problem is we just think going through the motions is what makes us mature. That, man, I have church attendance. I give my time. I give a little bit of tithe. I don't do bad things. I don't do those things anymore. And so we count that as becoming spiritually mature. And so I think like our problem is not necessarily we need to learn the new thing. What's the new thing? David, give me the next new sermon. Like what's the next thing? I think our problem is we have enough head knowledge of who Jesus is and what the word says. We just don't have the obedience to live the things that we already know out. That right there is what dictates if you're spiritually mature or if you're spiritually immature. 
Because the more we submit our lives to God and his word, that's the when you grow deeper into your relationship with Jesus and you grow into the man and woman that God created you to be. And so how that plays out is spiritually immature um, believers, they view church, they view worship, they view um, giving and serving, they view the Bible, they view prayer as almost like a checklist. Like if I mark that checklist off, I'm hitting the standard of being a spiritually mature Christian. And what Jesus is trying to show us is it's more than just a checklist. Man, it's a relationship. It's your heart willing to surrender to him. It's your desire. I want to be a spiritually mature follower of Christ. I want to share my faith. But Jesus, I don't know how. I need strength and wisdom to do it. Um, One quote I read in my study this week, it said this. I think it kind of summarizes this point is, man, no one studied the Bible more than the Pharisees. And according to Jesus, no one misunderstood the Bible more than the Pharisees. I just just want to read that one time. No one studied the Bible more than the Pharisees. And according to Jesus, no one misunderstood the Bible more than the Pharisees. It's not just about knowledge. It's about, but knowledge is a good thing, but man, it's about, are you going to surrender to the things that you know about God and about his word and what he says? So that's trap number one. Trap number two, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Um, Trap number two that we see Jesus about to call them out is uh, becoming more self-righteous and less gracious towards others. There's a trap for every believer that that the longer we walk with Jesus, it's easy for us to become more self-righteous and less gracious towards other people. And so um, let's look at how this plays out. Jesus says, why are you trying to kill me? Look at verse 20. The crowd responded, you have a demon. Who, Who is trying to kill you? I performed one work, Jesus said, and you were all amazed. This is why Moses has given you circumcision. Not that it comes from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. Let me pause real quick. Hey, if, you're, uh, if you don't know what the word circumcision means, um, David will be back next week, all right? And so you can ask him as soon as you see him, hey, David, what is circumcision, all right? So David trapped me, I'm gonna trap him. Circumcision, students, all right? Um, you ask David next week. Verse 23. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses won't be broken, are you angry at me because I made a man entirely well on the Sabbath? Stop judging according to outward appearances. Rather, judge according to righteous judgment. The trap number two is becoming more self-righteous and less gracious towards others. And have you ever just read the Bible and wondered, like, why did they want to kill him so badly, right? It was almost like they were so bent and so focused on wanting to kill Jesus. And part of that was because of his teachings. He would say things like, I am the son of man, or, or I'm the Messiah. Like, those things that he would say, um, they, it, it angered them. Because in their mind, the Messiah was this guy who was going to come in like a military leader, um, um, demolish Rome, uplift the Jews, and they were all going to rule over everybody else. And Jesus comes in, and if you remember the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, hey, if you want to inherit the kingdom, you have to be poor in spirit. And I mean, they hated that because Jesus is the opposite of what we in our, in our human minds think a leader should be. He's humble, he's meek, he's a servant. And so they hated him for that. But the other reason they hated him is because he would do things like this. He would just call their sin out in front of everybody, right? Not one of us is going to volunteer for next week to stand up here and go, hey, this week, this is the sin that I fell into, Right? No one's going to just openly do that. And so Jesus would preach and, and he would say things like this. And here's what's happening. I think it's hilarious. Jesus, right, we, we, what we know from last week and a, and a little bit earlier in the scriptures, Jesus heals the man who's been lame from birth, right? Healed him and it was on the day of the Sabbath. If you don't know anything about the Sabbath, maybe you do, maybe you don't. What is the Sabbath day for? It's for you to do what? 
to rest, right? It's a good thing. It's a good law that, the, that God gave us in the Old Testament to rest on the Sabbath. So the Pharisees would take that seriously. Like, you can't, you can't do anything. Like, you're going to rest. But what happened is Jesus walks up and he sees this man. He walks up to him. And if you remember the story, he goes, hey, do you want to be healed? And the guy's like, duh, <laughs> And he believed that the pool that was there, um, um, that would kind of spring up, that people would see it spring up and they would all jump in and hope that the thing would heal them. But he couldn't get into the water. And so, man, he was devastated. And Jesus comes up, do you want to be healed? He said, yes. He says, man, get up and pick your mat up. Pick your mat up. And so this man, <coughs> a full miracle, gets up with his mat and he's healed. And what I love in that story, if you kind of caught it last week or when David preached it, he just kind of disappears into the crowd, right? And what happens is that man walks out and the Pharisees see him. But what do they see? They know who that man was. For years, that man has laid in that spot. They knew him. They never helped him from what we know. They knew who he was and they saw him carrying a mat, which is a miracle in itself. But the scripture says that all they cared about was one thing. Why are you breaking the law carrying your mat? Not what happened? You're healed. Why, how are you able to walk? What happened? Tell us. They convicted him. They judged him. They, right there in the moment, why are you breaking the law on a Sabbath? No grace, no congratulations, no celebration. If that happened in front of us, we'd all be losing our minds celebrating with someone. But there was no grace in their hearts. However, Jesus says, listen, you guys perform circumcision even if it falls on the day of Sabbath with no issue, right? The, the Bible in the Old Testament tells us that on the eighth day, baby's, baby boy's born, eighth day, circumcision has to happen. But what happens if that circumcision falls on the Sabbath? Well, what do you do? Um, so one thing I learned, right, what, what I love about our church is we have two campuses, one big family. Um, we preach the same text. So Josh is preaching um, John chapter 7 today, but he's going at it at a different angle. Um, but man, it's, it's awesome to me that we're one family going through the same scriptures together. But one thing I learned from Josh this week, um, and it kind of sounds nerdy to me. So if this sounds really awesome to you, I'm sorry I called you nerdy. All right, but he taught me that the Pharisees would play this game um, where they would pick two laws and go, okay, here's, here's one law, here's another law. What happens if they conflict? Which one are we going to actually follow? All right, so to me, that's nerdy. If you like that kind of stuff, then I'm sorry, okay? Uh, but what they would do is they say, okay, here's the law of the Sabbath. You need to rest. And here's the law of circumcision. On the eighth day, they had to be circumcised. So what happens if that eighth day falls on the Sabbath? What do we do? Well, we're going to follow the, the one that we think is the more important one. Right? We're going to circumcise the, the, the kid. And so put that all into play. Here's what's going on. They are ragingly mad at Jesus to the point they want to kill him for one reason. He healed a man on the Sabbath. And Jesus, what does he do? He gets a little savage. You know that Jesus can be a little savage sometimes? He says, literally, you want to kill me because I healed someone on the Sabbath. But you all-knowing Pharisees, you literally break the law too. Not only Pharisees do you break the law and circumcise on the Sabbath, but you hate me to the point you want to kill me. And maybe you forgot this in Awanas or Sunday school, but there's like 10 commandments that says, you shall not murder. You want to murder me right now. And so what Jesus does is he's revealing to them that, that they, have, they are self-righteous that they believe they know better than everybody else around them, that their sin is not as bad as everyone else's sin around them. 
that they are the one with the knowledge and the truth and they know what's right or what's wrong. And so what's crazy is they walk around thinking that they are so spiritually mature, but at the same time breaking the laws they themselves justify but condemning other people. If you're with me, say I'm with you. Most of the time, listen, we don't, we, we don't think um, that we're as self-righteous as we really are, if, we, if we're being honest. I don't, I don't think that they realize how self-righteous they were until this moment. That's my baby girl, y'all. She's uh, six weeks old, little Millie. Um, but really what happens is like these Pharisees, they were really good at comparing themselves to other people. Y'all know somebody like this? You, you guys know anybody who compares themselves to someone that's like, doing really bad in life to make themselves look really good. You ever see someone like that? The Pharisees in the Bible, all the time, they would compare themselves to two people, tax collectors who everyone hated and were thieves, right? And prostitutes. And they would say, man, look at the thief or look at the tax collector, look at the prostitute. At least I'm not like them, right? I don't think we do that, but we do say things like, man, at least I'm not like my, my crazy cousin, Jimmy, who's on crack and homeless, right? We say he's like stuff like that where we compare ourselves to somebody else, but to justify in us what we're condemning in them. And it's easy for us to do, right? It's easy for us to do until we are put up next to someone who is righteous, who is perfect, who is holy. So the biblical knowledge, what happens when we read the Bible, we should see God and all of his glory and all of his splendor and all of his perfection and holiness and grace and power and justice. And then look at ourselves side by side and go, I am not who I think I am. I am broken. I'm sinful. And I need a gracious, loving savior to help me because I am broken. We, when we're comparing our lives to the Bible, we should never look at it and go, I know I'm good like, this is, like what this is telling me. I'm good. It should always draw us to our knees in prayer and surrender, saying, Jesus, I need more of you because I know who I am. I am broken. I don't know about you. I grew up watching uh, like the old school Batman movies. Y'all grew up watching Batman? Y'all remember Two-Face in the comics, right? Handsome looking dude, right? Dressed up, looked good. But on the other side of his face was all like ugly and messed up, right? He was in an accident. And some of my favorite times in those comics or in the movies, one, because I had nightmares, so I remember it pretty well, was that he was, it was like a close-up shot of him and he's staring in the mirror and he sees both sides of his face. And what he would do is he would smile and he would turn and look at the handsome side, right? That, that good-looking side. And he would smile, but then he would turn and see the ugly, uh, messed up, all damaged from an accident face. And man, he would get like, you would just see rage in his eyes because he hated that side of his face. And so what do you do? He either break the mirror or he would only stare at the good side. And I think as believers, there's a trap that, that we become more like that where, where we, we forget that we're saved by grace, that we are broken, sin-filled people who, who Jesus, we don't deserve his love. We don't deserve his mercy. And we forget that. And we begin to look at the good sides of our life where, man, I go to church and I serve and, and I, I give some money to people when they need help. And, and at least I'm not like that person. And we become more condemning and less grace-filled to those around us. We just keep looking at the good side, never remembering, oh man, I am still, uh, uh, even though I'm saved, man, I'm still broken like, it, because of my sin. I've been made new, but man, I have sin struggles that I still struggle with. How can I condemn other people if I'm still receiving grace from Jesus daily? And so I think what happened is, is man, we, we fall into this trap. We'd rather not look at that side for too long. And when we fall into that trap, man, we walk around with this pride 
kind of looking down on others. And what the Pharisees struggle with the most and what we'll struggle with if we're not careful is, man, we care more about what people do or don't do and forget that, man, we are saved by grace and we're called to extend that grace to others. Man, they, they didn't lack knowledge. They knew who God was. They knew what the word said. Man, they lacked grace. They didn't, they didn't extend grace because they didn't believe they needed grace for themselves. They were, in their minds, good. And they wanted to kill Jesus. Listen to that. They wanted to kill him because he healed a man on the Sabbath. And Jesus is telling them, listen, healing that man and you performing circumcision, those are not, they're not as different as you think they are. Both are blessings and, and a blessing way to care for and show grace to someone else. But because of their self-righteousness, man, they could not see how Jesus healing and being kind to a man was a good thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call Tyler up. Tyler, you can make your way up here. Here's the deal. Listen, uh, maybe you're in here and you're like, man, forget this Donnie guy. And I hope you don't think that, right? Like, remember, David put me in a trap. So um, this is a good one, all right? But what I am hoping is that, like, how do we apply this to our life? I, and I genuinely believe this. Like, I, I don't know most of you, and I would love to meet you at the end of the service, but just looking at you and from the stories I hear from Tyler and David, I don't think the majority of you are like falling into this trap. This whole sermon, like I don't want, I, this is not meant to beat you up. I'm just trying to tell you, I have fallen into these traps before. It is very easy to fall into these. And so my hope and prayer all week has been, okay, Lord, if this, if this is what you're pointing out in the Pharisees, point it out in us. If, there, if there's something in us as a, as a church family, as a, as a campus trying to reach the, the city of Greenbrier, right? Like how, how, do we, how do we look into our own life and apply this where I don't want us to fall into this trap. I don't want to fall into this trap. I, I want my life to be marked with a, a faith in Jesus and, and, a, and a desire to be in his word and a desire to be in, in prayer and a desire to be in community, but also be marked a, as a life of obedience where, man, I, I pursue the Lord. That's what I want my life to be marked as, not like one of these guys. That I'm just full of head knowledge and, and, and show no grace. So how do we apply this to our life? I think there's a few questions that we can ask ourselves and even pray today. And ask Jesus, Jesus, if there's something in here that's not, that you're not pleased with, reveal it to me. The first question, if you're taking notes, I would, I would ask this question. Do I only have a head knowledge of Jesus or is my life fully submitted to him as king? And am I actively obeying his word? Y'all listen, like lovingly, let me tell you, there's a huge difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing him personally. There's a huge difference. There's an eternal difference between just knowing about Jesus and knowing him personally as you have repented and surrendered to him as your king, as the boss over your life. It's easy. It's so easy for us to fall into that trap of going, well, listen, I've, I've been to church my whole life. I've been to church my whole life. I've gone to Sunday school. I went to Awanas. I know the Bible verses. I know the songs. I know when to raise my hand. I know when to clap. I know when to sit down. I, I, read, I, I read the daily verse on the U version. Like I, I do the thing. So I know Jesus, we're good. It's really easy to believe that, but nowhere in the Bible does it say that knowledge is what's going to save you. Knowledge is the, like, it's a good thing. The Bible talks about it. It's a good thing. It's the, it's the beginning of, uh, of wisdom. It's the beginning of fear of, uh, uh, the fear of the Lord's beginning of wisdom and knowledge. It's a good thing, but it's not what saves you. You being a good old boy and a good old girl going to church every Sunday is not what's going to get you to heaven. The only way to get to heaven, Jesus says, if it's through me. 
I am the way, the truth, and life. No one gets to the Father except through me. How does that play out? Jesus says, you must repent. You must repent. Turn away from not just your sins, but from away from you being the God of your own life. You have to turn away from that and fully surrender to Jesus, not just as Savior who got you out of hell, but as Lord, as boss, and his will is over your will. So I would ask yourself, like, just, just be real. Is my relationship with Jesus based on I just know him or do I actually know him personally? Have I surrendered to him? The second question is, how do I treat people who are different than me? And this is a telltale sign if you have become more self-righteous and less gracious towards others, you treat people different. Whether it be if they vote politically differently than you, do you treat them differently? If you see someone struggling on the street corner, do you instantly go to the negative of why they're there before you think of how can I help that person? Your crazy cousin that is doing what he's doing, is your heart just so bitter towards him and you're trying to prove to everyone that at least I'm not like that person? Listen, that is a telltale sign that you are more self-righteous than you are gracious. We need to repent of that. Which leads to the third question, do I justify in myself what I condemn in others? Are, are you like Two-Face where you know there's some sin in your life that you haven't confessed or there's some addictions that you're struggling with or some, some, some things that you're, that you're holding on to, some bitterness, but yet you rather not look at that very long. You want to look at the good side and just kind of point the bad out in everybody else to make your good side look really, really good and your bad side not so bad. Do we do that? These are, these are healthy questions to ask. These, these are called heart check questions. They're not meant to like beat you up or to make you, you know, feel guilty, man. It's really for me just wanting to, for you to consider your own relationship with Jesus. I don't want you to leave here thinking, man, I, I'm not a perfect Christian, so I'm not mature, or I'm not, I gotta do this, I gotta do that. It's actually the opposite. What I want you to leave here knowing is that, man, Jesus loves you. He wants to save you from your sins. He wants to give you grace on grace. He wants you to learn more about him through studying, through being in scripture, through praying, from being a part of the church family. He wants you to be on mission. He wants all these things for you, but he knows that you can't do it on your own, so he's gonna give you grace upon grace upon grace as you stumble your way towards him. That's what following Jesus is all about. It's not a sprint, man. It's a marathon. And sometimes the marathon runners, they run slow. And so maybe you're in here like, man, Donnie, this is discouraging. I feel you, man. I had to write this thing. But man, if you're pursuing the Lord, even if it's slow, man, slow motion's better than no motion. Just keep focused on Jesus and watch out for these traps. You are saved by grace. So extend that grace to other people. Uh, I will say this, man, the devil, can I tell you something about the devil? Say yes. I was going to tell you anyways. <laughs> the devil, this is what the devil doesn't care about. Tell you what he doesn't care about. The devil is our greatest enemy. And one thing he doesn't care about, he does not care if you come to church. He doesn't. He doesn't care if you come to church. Can I tell you something else about the devil? He, he doesn't care that you read your Bible. He doesn't. You read all the Bible you want. It doesn't bother him. It doesn't matter to the devil if you pray before your meals. It doesn't matter to the devil if you, if you try to be a good boy, you sing all the worship songs. That, that stuff doesn't matter to the devil. Matter of fact, one of the tools that the devil uses, 
He uses the church, the sermons, the worship, your Bible, your prayer as a tool against you. Because if the devil can get those things for you to become just something mundane, something that you just kind of go through the motions where you show up, you sit down, you sing, you hear the sermon and you leave, but never apply it to your life, never surrender to it, never go, God, forgive me for not living this out. Give me power to do that. If the devil can keep church as, as mundane in your life as possible, just something that you do, you just go to, he's happy. What the devil doesn't want is for you to take your faith seriously. He doesn't want you to take church seriously. He doesn't want you to come in here and serve. He doesn't want you to try to bring your neighbors and try to reach your coworkers for the gospel. If he can do anything um, to keep you from living on mission, from pursuing Jesus with a real relationship and full surrender and obedience, that's what he wants to do. Because he knows that a Christian who is under the surrender of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and walking in obedience and the power of the Holy Spirit trying to reach people for the gospel, that Christian is dangerous. That's who the devil wants to stop. And so I would just challenge us today, all of us, just to consider, man, am I falling into the trap of the devil just going through the motions of church? Or am I actively surrendering and walking in obedience? Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.